Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. And this week we are looking at The Ruins by Phoebe Wynne. 12-year-old Ruby has grown up visiting her family's French chateau every summer for her whole life. But this year is going to be different. When uninvited guests refuse to leave, cause endless trouble for the family and begin to fracture decades-old relationships, tempers begin to rise and lines are crossed. Under the boiling heat of the Mediterranean sun, it'll lead to a night after which no one will walk away from the chateau unchanged. 25 years later, in 2010, Mrs Cosgrave returns to France to finally confront all that happened that summer and release herself from the hold it has had over her ever since. But even after all this time, is the chateau safe? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get this out of the way early. I loved it. I loved this book. I loved it too. It was tough to read at points, but I loved it. (laughs) I think Phoebe Wynne has become an autobi author for me. Couldn't agree more. I do need to get myself some physical copies of her books. Definitely. I want them on my shelves. The Ruins is really pretty because it's yellow underneath. Oh, is it? I think it's actually in paperback now. Is it? Yeah. Mm. I do believe so. But we do love a hardback. Mm. Anyway, before we get any further, just going to run through um, some content warnings for The Ruins because it is pretty damn dark. Hmm. So we've got sexual assault, sexual harassment, child abuse, murder, blood and misogyny. Also massive spoiler warning as per usual because there is a lot that happens in this book and it's one of those ones that if you go into it knowing what happens, I think it's really going to take something away from it. So if you've not quite finished it yet, go back, finish off the book, then come back. We're not going anywhere. Even if you think you might read it at some point, we won't be offended if you just don't come back to this for a few months. Just go away, read the book, and then come back. Yeah, it makes for a much better experience. If you would like to join our mailer, you can go to thedarkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com where you'll have behind the scenes, occasional giveaways, um, hopefully a few more author Q&As. We do have a few in the works. Um, so yeah if you would like to sign up follow along and join our little book club over there uh, which the ruins is part of this week we would love that so that's the dark academicals book club dot substack dot com so i suppose why did we choose the ruins i think we mainly just wanted to read it because we loved madam so much <laughs> yeah there's a little bit of that we're not above using our podcast to make us read the books that we really want to read. Yeah. <laughs> it's working quite well for that, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, there are still it's still quite obviously had some touch points that we look for for a dark academia book from the summary, from like what you could like glean about it from the internet. Oh, definitely. Um, but it was definitely going to be a slightly different. It's not a, obviously not a clear cut dark academia book Mm. you can know that from the off just from the setting from the bright summary cover it's got like it's not a traditional dark academia style book but there's a lot in there for us to talk about Mm. i think so i guess we should get started 
So if you want a quick rundown on everything we look at in A Dark Academia title and how we kind of compare it and how we came up with these tropes of what makes A Dark Academia book, you can go way back to the beginning of the podcast and check out our episode, An Introduction to Dark Academia, which will give you all of the info that you need. So first up, we have a higher education setting, often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. Nope. No, definitely not. <laughs> no, I mean, there is definitely like, um, there's plenty of references to elite, exclusive, higher education establishments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's because the, the kind of the setup is that Ashby's live at this chateau. So it's um, Toby, Rhonda and Ruby. And Ruby's our main, our main girl. She's 12 and then friends of her father from university come and stay at the chateau and kind of destroy everything yeah. <laughs> um and it's kind of like these long-standing connections of having been to university together and one of them's a, a peer one of them's a lord you know they're like crusty upper class english yeah so it, there's all those right connotations, isn't there? There is. And, um, I mean, Ruby and the girls are at a, what sounds like quite an elite school to begin with. Obviously, they have to pay to go there. Quite a bit of money, it seems. Yeah. Um, and they run this whole orchestra camp at their summer lodgings for the whole school. Um, <laughs> well, not for the whole school, but like for the, I suppose for the, for the music. Yeah, yeah, the music kids. Um, so it has that elite, exclusive, privileged vibe from the off, but it's obviously not set on campus. Yeah. I think the same goes for that kind of idea of a secret society. So there's there's not one. No, but you do get the impression that they kind of ran as a group, not necessarily a secret society, but for me, like uh, Toby and... Um, Angus and what's the other guy called? Harley. Oh yeah, how could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> Try to or my brain's already trying to trauma Purge remove him. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and is it Georgina? Yeah. Um, it's clear that they kind of ran together as a group. Yeah. At, in a similar way to like the group of the secret history. That's kind of what it put me in mind of, especially when things get revealed about like you know the the cover ups and the you know, it's like this scene, yeah. kind of something bad has happened. You know, they all studied classics in some way. Something went terribly wrong. Um, and they're still kind of covering up for each other and having each other's backs. It was that kind of um, secret history dynamic. Yeah, I definitely. They're, they're deeply entangled with each other. They're so yeah. entangled that even though they don't necessarily get on anymore, they are trapped into this friendship out of fear of what yeah. they can reveal and ruin for each other basically it's We're... the to it's the toxicity isn't it that kind yeah. of gives it that dark academia tick i think yeah absolutely and there's there's lots of like pomp isn't there about you know the things they did as as students you know they all studied humanities or classics and they bring those discussions through their adult life 
and that that context even if it's not something that is used in their daily life anymore and I think that's a very kind of I guess a new version of that setup that we haven't really seen before because we've never really seen those characters that have that established relationship yeah it kind is of about almost, that stage it's almost like the secret history or villains like if they'd have all made it as a group mm. to adulthood with kids in tow yeah it's like the what if mm. of secret history to me yeah because harley is very reminiscent of bunny isn't he actually yeah very much so yeah definitely you can definitely draw parallels um between them quite easily yeah and i would put angus more as like the henry type yes definitely and i suppose toby is well, i don't know who you'd put toby as but i suppose he's the one with almost like the summer house like he's got the yeah the place everyone goes to everyone flocks to yeah that's charles's isn't it yeah yeah it's charles and camilla isn't it that yeah and I guess Georgina works pretty well as Camilla, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So we also have old Gothic architecture, and I think that's an easy an easy tick. Even though it's... I don't think it's technically Gothic, like in actual architectural terms. No. But it, it has everything that Gothic architecture brings to the table atmosphere-wise. It does, and it also... Um like has a lot of intertextuality that kind of lends itself to that uh gothic feel within the house so um i think doesn't they even reference um the mad woman in the attic at one point so it it does it it has that kind of gothic-y effect that uh the house can have yeah there's also that kind of um idea of them being kind of shut away from the rest of the world isn't it it's, it's that microcosm of society yeah. in in the same way that you would in a higher education setting which is only kind of compounded by the grandeur of this building it it makes it a all-encompassing environment yeah which is something that seems to be um uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a trope, but it is something that so far Phoebe Wynn does really well. There's mm. these microcosms, these small uh, communities within communities that are just shut off from the rest of the world one way or another. Because obviously we had it in Madam, and now we have it again in uh, The Ruins. Yeah, I agree. But I think I kind of wanted to mention how like it's there's lots of comments about how the chateau is starting to crumble a bit yeah it's it's in disrepair it hasn't been given the love and the money and the care that it needs because it's it's this relic from a class system that doesn't exist anymore because we're in 1985 yeah so obviously there are still i mean there's probably always going to be a extreme class system in the uk unfortunately but I mean, it kind of made in Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um but it's like this reflection of like this system, this way of living, this friendship group. It's all kind of oh, I just smacked my headphones. 
is all crumbling with this building you know it's it's being worn away by time by this lack of nurturing and enough people there to keep it in place yeah which i thought was quite powerful and also connects back to madam as well because that's very much the aesthetic of caldenbrae yeah. isn't it in madam it's it's starting to crumble and being worn away by the environment yeah i think also what's really interesting is that even though you're reminded that it's 1985 every time you're reading like a chapter mm-hmm. set then it feels like it could be a lot older and I think that kind of aligns with those kind of like older uh, perspectives and behaviours that just have not changed yeah. and because they're in this like bubble of and of of just themselves um, you don't have any other like cultural touch points until mm-hmm. you get towards the end and obviously you have like the the fairground with the bumper cars and then it starts to feel more almost like they're emerging out of that bubble because it's the end end yeah. of their stay um but you other than that you have nothing you could have literally picked them up and plopped it 10 years before 10 years before that 10 years before that and there would be very little that would be different yeah that was actually a criticism i saw of the book in a review and it was like oh it felt like it should have been set in the victorian times because everything about it was old-fashioned in like the way they were living that summer Mm. but to Uh, me that's kind of the point yeah same but i think equally it could be moved to 2023 oh yeah definitely you know it's that kind of strange suspension in time isn't it because yeah the theme again it's it's that hammering home of the female experience does not change yeah and jumping ahead massively here um with a big big spoiler so this is your your last chance warning (laughs) if you have um stuck around and you haven't finished the book but after kind of you know ruby kills um Harley and Angus, and she's sent away to school. She's sent to Caldenbrae from Madam. And it's this kind of... She escaped that trauma to be thrown into more trauma. Yeah. And more... History just repeating itself for her. Yeah. And and for me, it's the acknowledgement that even though these men are disgusting and vile and everything that you would think would thrive in that situation of Caldenbrae, even they don't want the girls to go to this school. But by getting rid of them, the mothers, the women, are then putting their daughters in that situation, in that abusive environment that they experienced i suppose they went there so you have to assume that they were chosen as wives Mm -hmm. from because you never really find out with some of them like how they met so you've got obviously the women that went to university with with the boys and they're (laughs) very different to the women to polly and to rhoda yeah that were chosen from caldenbrae as wives yeah it kind of explains as well like their acceptance of how they behave yeah of how max and holly not so much angus and toby because they're they're probably like dialed down in their language and they're like outright 
abuse of the girls. Um, it's more, yeah, well, until later. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, because these women, that's how they were taught that men were. And that it's okay. Yeah. It's very hard to read and I have to admit, like, when I realised... Because I thought earlier on, I, I did wonder about Cowden Bray because they, they mentioned Scotland and they mentioned this school they all went to, but the, the dads didn't want them to go there. And I was like, is she going to do that to me? Is she going <laughs> to do that to me? And she did. And I've got, not going to lie, I was really angry. <laughs> I was really angry because I thought they had, I thought they'd won. And I know that's her point, that there isn't winning no. under patriarchy I, I i know that you can you can win one battle but you're not going to win the war yeah but i think that was tempered by the kind of the acknowledgement that um the school wasn't successfully rebuilt in no. the same yeah, way yeah. um when we get a flashback later on that actually what they did in madam did have some impact you know yeah that was a really wild tangent from old gothic architecture. <laughs> well, so shall we move on to Let's. a preoccupation with classical studies, Latin, Greek, literature and philosophy. And for me, this is sort of a yes. Um, I'd say there's it's a it's a strong yes. Yeah, I think only in, I, I might <clears throat> only say sort of because it's not like in the secret history where it is the obsession oh yeah yeah it's not the pursuit but it is just entangled within the plot Mm. in the ruins um so we have ned who is just feeding the girls these stories much like again it's very like um mirroring madam in the sense that in madam you have the school teacher who's um telling these stories of greek myths and uh classic kind of female figures from uh latin and it's mainly greek isn't it i think yeah um but in this instance it's more to draw parallels with the current uh i want to say adults Mm. but adults is a strong word for this on on a technicality (laughs) on a technicality yeah yeah, I think there's also like that it's a very uh like narrowed down focus as well. It's the Trojan War. Yeah. And the, it's the conflict between men and women in the Trojan War, isn't it? Yeah. It's the way that men abused women and women fought back. Yeah. And there's a there's a big focus on the instances where that revenge was successful. Yeah. I so guess there's like, lo- Nestra. Um, there's mention of Braces, there's Iphigenia, Iphigenia, Helen of Troy. Um, yeah, it's, I really liked that how that was woven in. I did too. It's it's really, I think it's one of those like nuggets of foreshadowing that if you know, you know, yeah. but if you don't, it's it's not gonna 
ruin anything for you it's not gonna take anything away it just gives an extra punch if you do know the stories and obviously you get told the stories anyway but they're they're drip fed in a way that you know if you know what's coming you know what's coming yeah kind of thing which i really enjoy yeah i suppose also there is that kind of thread from the men as well who talk often about their latin studies and Mm. Yeah, that's true. They they really embrace this idea that they embody these Greek heroes. Yeah. Because they oh, yeah. are looking at it from a completely different angle. They're looking at it as, well, I'm this uh, legendary hero, whereas the girls are looking at it like, okay, you may think you're like this, but we know the women took them down, you know? Yeah. Or, or at least knocked them down a peg. Yeah. I think it was a really clever, like split perspective there definitely there's also um a decent amount of literature specifically agatha christie yeah i really like that i thought Mm. it was very fitting to the setting yeah um i thought the setting could easily have been in a poirot oh absolutely um, story um the whole thing could have been a poirot you could have just inserted him in there yeah definitely Um, yeah i guess that that connects back to the like the the fluid time setting, yeah. doesn't it? Because what that would have been the thirties, is it? Like thirties, forties, fifties ish. Yeah, sort of around there. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's around. It's around that. It's like twenties, thirties, I think, for Poirot. Right. Okay. Oh, was it Miss Marple that was the later one? Maybe. Yeah. So that that kind of like plays into that like timelessness there. And that focus on the upper classes as well, because that's she did, didn't she? She wrote about the upper classes because she was upper class. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really interesting. I like that. I was so angry for Ruby when Harley spoiled the book for her. Me too. Like, like how oh. dare you? <laughs> she literally has one novel in English for the entire summer and you ruined the plot. Oh, my God. <laughs> and not only that, she then gets gifted another book. Mm. And he tears it to pieces. Oh, he's a disgusting creature. I can't even yeah. call him a man. It's also like, for for me, I kind of like connected that kind of... Um, because although Agatha Christie now, and probably even then, but is seen as like a, like a, 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 a literary gem. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. nobody kind of frowns upon you reading Agatha Christie, but it's still kind of that juxtaposition between what they think is proper and right for a woman to be reading. Got yeah. yeah. Rather than this kind of uh, what I suppose could be called fantastical fluff, but, you know, like, yeah. like how you get women's fiction. Mm. You know? It's that, like, high art versus low art thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because there's there's lots of criticism about the way that Ruby conducts herself. Yeah, I mean she's a twelve year old kid. <laughs> I know she's twelve. Twelve. <laughs> it's yeah. I really liked that we had the majority of the book from her perspective, though, from the twelve year old perspective. Because I think this is what um, we said would be interesting for Madam as if we saw it from the girl's perspective and then we got it in the next book so <laughs> yeah that's true because when when I started it and I was like oh it's, it's a split narration and um, I wondered kind of how much we'd have from Mrs Cosgrove yeah 
grave cause Imogen <laughs> yeah but I, I didn't did you know who it was from the start not from the start um not really I mean I then started to kind of get you get the vibe that it's not Ruby yeah um I did wonder if it was going to be Annie I thought it was Annie at first yeah but I think again I'm skipping ahead but I think the Annie's character was really cleverly done in the sense that she is just the innocence not lost mm-hmm. and they protect her at all costs don't they or at least Ruby tries to keep protecting her yeah they Imogen, do yeah. Imogen, Imogen protects her while she's there and then afterwards Ruby kind of steps up to that mantle yeah. to... I think she, she almost sees her own childhood in Annie doesn't she yeah it's the way she watches her like her joy in the um, <laughs> the joy in the annuals that her mum is forcing her to read. Yeah, but Annie really loves them, and it's her uh, love of the, the the different fairies and stuff like that. Yeah, the flower fairies. Yeah. yeah, I loved those as a kid as well. Yeah, it's it's that. I I don't know how to word it. Never mind. Maybe it will come back to me later. <laughs> What there is a lot of mm. is murder. That there is a fair bit, isn't there? Yeah. Off page, on page, threatened, suggested. It's very much a bit like a Greek tragedy. It's just oh, funny that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. There's so we've got obviously Harley and Angus are the big murders. Yeah, but we have. Um, the boy that Max kills in the car in the very yeah, beginning. The hit and run. Yeah. And we have the young man that gets shot by Angus. Back in the day. Back in the day. Whilst they're... Uh, it was a, it's a beater, wasn't he? So he should have stopped shooting, but he didn't. The beater came through and then he shot him, but not on purpose. Yeah. I've got to admit, I didn't really understand what all of that language was about. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Um, well, you, well, we don't need to talk about, (laughs) we don't need to talk about hunting. Again, Um, it's another, like, very specific English upper class sport. I I put that in air quotes, just so you know. Yeah, I think because I live in the country, (laughs) um, I'm exposed to it, unfortunately. Um, Right. Because it's obviously still something that happens now. People go on pheasant shoots to, mm. in my local area for fun. So they grow, they grow, they grow pheasants like they grow on trees. They um, <laughs> they will uh, buy in a bunch of young pheasants and they will keep them in these small um, runs um, until they're ready to release them. Uh, and then they will come by in the next week or so to flush them and shoot them. So the point of the beater is they drive the game, so whether that's pheasant, deer, whatever it is that they're hunting, out of the bushes or out of the... They basically drive them towards their deaths. They drive them in the right direction. They flush them. Quite, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I live in a quite large town <laughs> so um in the middle of a built-up area so it's not really something i've ever had any exposure to 
I mean, than through TV and films and stuff. I find it disgusting that it's something that I am still exposed to. Like, yeah. in this day and age. I mean, even then, but like, specifically 2023, mm-hmm. we don't need to be going out with guns to shoot things for fun. Nope. No, it's it's absolutely vile. Anyway, yeah. murder. <laughs> murder. Murder. A lot of it. Yeah. I thought that... I. Because obviously, like, as you're going through the book, you know it's coming. Yeah. You know someone's going to die. Something's going to happen. I knew that Harley was going to have to get it. Yes. I expected Harley. I didn't expect Angus. No. And also the way as well. Like, I feel really conflicted about Angus. And I have to applaud Phoebe Wynn for her writing. Because, Mm -hmm. like, I I knew in my bones that he was a bit of a wrong-in. But I was also hoping that he'd just be one of those ones where you'll go, oh, don't know, grey area type. But he was full on wrong in. Yeah. And he's the worst kind. Because I think even Ruby says it because he lies about it. He's insidious about it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I he was... tricks you into liking him. You want to like him as a father figure. And you think, finally, someone she can like mm-hmm. lean on that will look after her. Nope. Pervert. Just grooming her, actually. Yeah. yeah. And Vile so angry <laughs> i think that's what makes it worse isn't it because it's someone that you wanted to trust in the book and you were betrayed horribly because like the harley types even her father you could foot like feasibly imagine him doing something a bit grim like that because he's not a very nice person like he's not no. a very warm person but when it's the people that kind of gain the trust of the main characters and seem very warm and very caring and yeah, I, I guess that's that's the idea, though, isn't I it? I know that's what makes me so uncomfortable. As well. <laughs> really because, uncomfortable. Yeah, because the people that do these kinds of things are usually the people that are trusted by the victims. Yeah, that's that is the sad truth of it, and that's how they manage to do it. I guess. Yeah, I guess you've got the two sides of the coin there, haven't you, with Harley and Angus? Yeah, and it was yeah. I was I wasn't really expecting that one. No, you get the ones that are so blatant, like like we say, like Harley, who are saying gross things just publicly, that mm-hmm. to the point that I mean, the girls kind of knew to avoid him if they could, but the problem was that the adults they weren't encouraging it, but they weren't doing anything to stop it. No. So whenever Harley would be like, "Come and sit on my knee," someone should have said, "She's a bit old for that now. That's a bit inappropriate." Yeah. They just let it happen. Mm-hmm. I just can't work out whether they didn't care, didn't know, or... Yeah, those are the options. <laughs> Bit of both? Yeah. Oh my god, Rhonda. She made me so furious. Ruby's mum. I just... She was just as bad as the men in a different way. Yeah. But she's a product of Caldenbray. Yeah, I know. She's the true product of Caldenbray. At least with Polly, you could see the conflict. Yeah, she hesitated, didn't she? Yeah. I mean, she didn't hesitate when it wasn't one of them. So when it was Max mm. being the problem, she didn't really hesitate. And he was he was ousted. But when it's one of them, it's a little bit different. Even though you could still see the hesitation, you could yeah. still see that she kind of could see that something wasn't right. She was choosing to ignore it. 
for her society connections. Yeah. And for what she gets out of the relationships with those people. Yeah. Like monetarily, socially, culturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was hard to stomach that was. Yeah. I have to admit I love the way that Ruby was characterized after after that murder. Like she just I think she even says at some point, doesn't she? Like it was just a obviously not in the same wording, but like a weight had been lifted off her shoulders. Yeah, she became I mean, for want of a better word, she became untouchable. Yeah. Because she defeated these people that had infiltrated her home and ruined a special place to her as well. Yeah. This place that she loved and had so many fond memories of growing up um, and seeing her grandmother. I found it quite interesting that her grandmother and the way that she was described, the difference between her and ruby's parents because like timeline wise you kind of expect it to be the other way around yeah just because she would have been a product of the 50s wouldn't she Mm. and i think there was there was definitely a thread of um her not being english wasn't there yeah i think potentially south american was it south american or was it was it Singapore? I know I saw that somewhere too. I can't oh, remember. was it? Oh, okay. But there definitely is a thread of her not being, like, white English. Yeah. For sure. And it's kind of like her separation from those, like, class politics and, the, like, being brought up in that environment. Yeah. Like, even with the money and the houses and the society, like, it's it's that insidious... English upper class breeding <laughs> that is because, a large but, portion of the problem. Yeah, but because she went against it, she was just classed as mad. Mm-hmm. She was the mad woman in the attic. Yeah, essentially. As, as was um, Mrs. Fuller. Yes. Yeah, that was that was hard to watch. Yeah. So basically she gets blamed for her husband's hit and run and drugged yeah into accepting it because she physically can't do anything about it yeah that was like right from the off you kind of know what you're in for with this don't you yeah with the way that these women are treated and it's not just the girls it's all of the women even like Rhonda, who exerts you know her power and her will over ruby she's still under the thumb of toby in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because she has been brought up to acknowledge that her power is in her um, appearance and sexuality. She has no other power. You, you, um, Liv was a bit of a um, dark horse in the sense that you never expect anything from her than what you got. Yeah. But she was just this quiet... Um, almost like just accessory mm-hmm. for Harley, and then um, she really kind of comes through a bit for Ruby. She does, and I just, but at the same time, I just wanted her to do more. I know. I think isn't it her her well her stepson that says says as much as well, like yeah, kind of 
it's uh, Imogen who kind of says, don't, you know, don't judge her too harshly. Like she was, she was the nicest one. And he basically says something like, but she, she didn't do anything. Yeah. Nicest one of a bad bunch doesn't make you nice kind of thing. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, off topic again. Wow. (laughs) I hope you're enjoying our tangents today. (laughs) (laughs) So So we've got up to a dark, moody and or haunting vibe. Yes. Yeah. This, This one is different than a normal dark academia because we are in the scorching... French summer sunshine. Yeah. It still, for me, has the right feel, though. Oh, absolutely. Like, mm. it's... I think I, I... Did I say... Did I message you? I know I thought it. <laughs> but saying, like, from the second second you start reading, it feels insidious and cloying and, like, it's closing in around you. Yeah, it's very much like... Um, uh, things we do to our friends when they go, yes, go on holiday for that week. It's like that, but throughout the whole of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. And there's that kind of there's that looming threat. You don't know what's coming. You don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And yeah, it's it's very dark, mm. and it feels dark. I don't think so much haunting other than perhaps its effect on us. Um, yeah. I guess they, well, I think through I think Mrs. They- through Imogen at the end, like that summer has haunted her. Yeah. That summer will haunt all of them and has haunted them all for their entire lives. Yeah. It's, it's that like really dark... Um, opposing idea of you know in like a romance novel like a um a ya romance novel it's like the summer that changes everything yeah but with a very very dark twist (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely then we have hero worship of a particular figure or author um Um, i'm not sure on this one i think because they're all such terrible people and they all kind of hate each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the girls, even though they are friends, they are they're friends because they're forced into protecting each other. Yeah. It's it's not a friendship that would have been built outside of those circumstances. Oh no! I think even Ruby says that she actively doesn't want to be Imogen's friend at the beginning. Yeah. And she obviously wants nothing to do with Ned. And Ned is basically manipulating them, isn't she? Yeah. So Ned's yeah, I'd, a weird, on, weird character. Yeah, I'd, I can't. I can't decide how I feel about Ned. Again, you could look at it. She's still a young girl. I mean, she's what? Well, she's seventeen. Yeah. She is still a child who has been taught by her mother to manipulate these girls into a position where they are going to inherit a chateau yeah you know and you don't know how much of her um relationship with angus is pushed by her mum 
That's true. Because they're all in this same clique, aren't they? They're all from this same world. And I'm assuming she's from Caldenbray too, because she tangled with Angus first, didn't she? Yeah. So Ned is Angus's first child. So, yeah, I, I don't... Go on, Toby's first child. That's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, un- even more uncomfortable, Ooh. wouldn't it? <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> yeah, Toby. Yeah. I don't know. I think... Um, I mean, I think the whole point is that she's a very complicated character to kind of mm-hmm. decide how you feel about. Um, but she definitely made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think as well, because there's at the end, it's like she never came back to the chateau. Hmm. So that kind of, to me, says actually this wasn't because... She didn't do this because she wanted to do it, you know? Yeah. Then we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. Yeah, we've got Max and he's fairly new money, I think, isn't he? Yeah. Um, And it's got that that vibe of just throwing it around because... and then obviously the old money, which is sort of no money as well, but it... yeah, it's running out. <laughs> yeah. And then we have that kind of like the conflict here is Harley paying for things and buying people out of things in order to secure leverage over yeah. people who need help, um, because they are not willing to let go of these like markers of their social status, even yeah. if they are no longer sustainable to them. And I think that's where the conflict is in here, isn't it? Yeah. It's hold- holding that power over someone in a different way to the- what we usually see in dark academia. <clears throat> Weather as a literary device. Um... I think in a broader sense, it just builds the atmosphere, doesn't it? Because it is scorching hot. Um, it's that it's part of that cloying, claustrophobic atmosphere. Yeah. And it, it kind of, I mean, when you're hot, everything is, you're on edge, aren't you? A bit mm. more, everything's a little bit more touchy. Everything's a bit more intense everything feels more extreme because your body is heightened in. Yeah, it also kind of adds opportunity, doesn't it? Because it's, well, of course you'll be going to the pool, it's hot. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, you'll be wanting to go to the sea or you'll be sunbathing or... Yep. Um, and it it's it would be a very different book if it was set in the winter. Yes, definitely. Or somewhere without that climate yeah yeah absolutely other than that i don't think as much as it played into madam Mm. so much i do i don't know why but the scene has really stuck with me where ruby goes to bed and she wakes up in the morning and she forgot to close the shutters and her room is just flooded yeah I feel like that is quite important and significant, but I can't put my finger on what it is saying. Hmm. But yeah, that that scene really stuck with me. 
Finally, we have underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I mean, other than the fact that she's a child. <laughs> yeah. So underdeveloped is the key word. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really think so, though. She's grown up in that society. She's grown up... It's, she knows how to be nice and make friends and talk to adults oh, yeah. and talk to her peers. She just, because she is annoyed by these people in her house, she chooses not to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think she still obviously is only 12. So mm-hmm. her social skills are only going to go so far because she hasn't had to use them yeah like as an adult oh yeah in an adult yeah. setting i think but uh, like i said only underdeveloped in the in the sense that she's 12 yeah <laughs> and i guess she she's less able to advocate for herself because she is under the control of adults yeah in that respect yeah i agree there's not much mm. else um no. to that with ruby really is there anything else you would like to bring up and talk about um what have we not tangented tangent <laughs> that is the ultimate question isn't it yeah oh do you know what i thought you know there's lots of french in the novel mm. and that is quite frustrating but i know that that was just furthering the isolation i know why she did it um and obviously i read on my kindle so i could just highlight and translate it yeah but i'm i didn't because it was deliberate yeah <laughs> you know so yeah because ruby doesn't speak french so she it's also kind of like putting you more in her shoes yeah it's with def- the bits with ruby with the bits with imogen and that i guess it's just i mean i get we <laughs> i get it but i was also frustrated too i was like <laughs> i want to know what it's yeah so it's that like um i get it but I'm slightly annoyed about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's a big change. I don't know how this is relevant, but I'm going to say it anyway. But in like classics, there's lots of like French and Latin because people that were reading classics, well, reading books in, you know, the 1870s or whatever, they were highly educated people who would have been taught French. So it was just part of language. So when I see it now, in modern literature, I find it really interesting. Yeah. And I always notice it. I feel like in modern literature, I think it's more of a um, choice in terms of like meaning and metaphor and symbolism. Yeah. Like there's more, well, there should, there's more depth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's not, then it probably shouldn't be in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it is, yeah, like you said, it's part of that kind of putting you in Ruby's position, that kind of isolation, that immediate fear when someone starts talking to you in another language and you have no idea what they are saying. Yeah. Like, it's that panic, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to slide that in. (laughs) I do have one other point. Mm Mm-hmm. Imogen sleeping with Hugo at the end felt unnecessary and I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I don't see why that had to happen. I don't know why it happened, I think. think. Yeah, I think for me, it needed more time to develop. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't fully understand why that needed to happen. Especially as she was, like, scared of him. She was full body scared of him because of the way he resembled Harley. Yeah. And then suddenly she is propositioning him. I I, I know that it's that realisation of it's not him. He was abused too in his own way. But... I don't think it needed to go to that place, I guess. Mm. And I'm not sure why it did. I think even if it, the the telling thing is if you took that scene out, mm. you wouldn't it wouldn't change anything about the outcome of the book. No. Like the only other thing I can think of maybe is it it's that like full circle for Imogen. She's kind of because she was sexually abused, it's that She's taking back her own body yeah. and her own sexuality, maybe. Um, but again, I don't think it was developed thoroughly enough for that to be uh, clear. Mm. For me, anyway. I don't yeah. think. But yeah, that, that, w- that was my last, my last note. Mm. Did you have anything... I don't, but I do also feel like this is one of those books that you could probably pick out and talk about stuff for hours. Yeah, um, definitely. It's definitely a thinker. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that I'm going to be thinking about for a long time. Yeah, it'll linger, won't it? Yeah. And I just really cannot wait to see what we get next. Oh my gosh. If, if, this, <laughs> if this doesn't also though tie in somewhere now, I'm going to be mad. Yeah, I love those little <laughs> Easter eggs. I love it when authors do that. It's one of my favourite things. Yeah. Sarah Desson does it. Um, Paige Toon does it. I've <laughs> drawn a blank already. But <laughs> like, I love it when those things yeah. happen. It's, it's good. It's just a little frisson. little frisson. Little frisson. <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> yeah. This book gave me all the ick but in the best way like yeah i it i mean it gave me the ick in the sense it was supposed to so well done for that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think because we were saying um when we looked at things we do to our friends that gave us the ick and it dealt with like reasonably similar topics yeah but it's a different ick to that isn't it whereas especially because they're 12 yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes doubles down on the ick. Yeah, it does. Literal children, and uh, yeah, it's just that horror of like n- no one, none of the adults are going to help you. No. And they're actually more, more often they're not going to push you into that situation. Yeah. Even if it's not um, deliberate. So, big question: Is it dark academia? I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I say on a technicality, no, but in everything else, yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it has all of, it has the vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I just loved it. <laughs> so the next episode is going to be our Dark Academia adjacent novel for season five. And it's going to be Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. The summary for this book was apparently impossible 
to locate. <laughs> so I bring you the summary from the back of the Penguin Classics Edition because it's the most full summary I could find and it's not very full. <laughs> Brideshead Revisited is Evelyn Waugh's stunning novel of duty and desire set amongst the decadent, faded glory of the English aristocracy in the run-up to the Second World War. The most nostalgic and reflective of Evelyn Waugh's novels, Brideshead Revisited looks back to the golden age between the Second World War. It tells the story of Charles Ryder's infatuation with the Marchmains and the rapidly disappearing world of privilege they inhabit. Enchanted first by Sebastian Flight at Oxford, then by his doomed Catholic family, in particular his remote sister Julia, Charles comes finally to recognise his spiritual and social distance from them. Hmm. I think this is going to pair really nicely with the ruins. I think so too. I think we're also going to be able to draw a lot of comparisons with the secret history. I think so too. I'm really excited about this. This is kind of one of those modern classics um, that is often cited as a a predecessor because it's it's a campus novel. And the campus novel is like the precursor to Dark Academia. Mm. And it's My First Evelyn War. Have you read him before? No. We'll have a new author on the podcast. <laughs> we'll see if we can have him on. <laughs> I wonder when he died. It must have been like the 70s, surely. We'll hold a seance in a very dark <laughs> academia way. I mean, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I like the idea. Great selling point, but... Oh, he died in 1966. Mm, a little bit late. Yeah, just a little bit. So thank you for listening to this episode. If you made it this far and you're still here, hello, thank you. Um, <laughs> if you can like it wherever you're listening, I just meant like with the whatever kind of button your podcast streaming service has, that would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe because it does a lot more than you think it might do. Um and also, if you are not signed up to our mailer, you can go over to the darkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com and do that, and that would be good too. Thank you very much for listening, and we will speak to you again in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.